1: That was such uber ponage.
2: Hello, fellow nerds. Welcome to Nerd Association from the WBNS studios here in Columbus, Ohio. I'm your host, Mark Finch, and I'm your other host, Daniel
3: Barnett. Here at Nerd Association, we like to prove that just because you have a cool job, it doesn't make you cool. Uh, and today we have a special guest on the line with us through our uh, everyone's favorite video conferencing app. He is a singer-songwriter and also my one and only brother, Eric Barnett. Eric, thanks for joining us today on Nerd Association thanks for having me so we when you and I were talking a couple of weeks ago about uh, about the podcast and and I kind of said you know I'd love to have you on and and the first thing that came to mind like you are my brother and what are you nerdiest about in my mind music but specifically uh one artist that i thought you know you introduced me to him you fostered my love for him and now i think it's important that the world knows more about uh tom waits so tell me what was your introduction to tom waits
0: so uh it took me a while to learn about tom waits and it took me a while to get into him actually um i was raised in central ohio you know, in the in the '90s, during a time where it was dial-up internet and, and whatever you heard on the radio is what you'd hear most of the time. Uh, personally, I actually got a lot of CDs from the library, so I was getting into a lot of singer-songwriters. I was getting into Neil Young and Bob Dylan, and I, I always kind of heard that the name Tom Waits floating around, and it was it always seemed to be coming from who i considered to be cooler than myself and i I really didn't know a lot about the guy um i got a hold of from the library uh there's a couple compilations of his called the early years that were actually uh demos of songs he wrote before his first record and i listened to a little bit of that and i thought well this is okay but it never really stuck with me and uh my freshman year in college i went to bowling green state university and I was dropping in on a friend of mine who ran a radio show. And Mule Variations had just come out, it came out in 1999. It's one of the couple records I think he got a Grammy for. And he's like, I don't know anything about this, but I know I'm supposed to play it. Uh, I think this song has like the guys from Primus on it. And that's something I was into at the time. And he played, uh, I think it was Big in Japan, and it was it was the weirdest, loudest, <laughs> craziest thing I'd heard played on the radio at the time. So I said, you know, is that the same Tom Waits that I had listened to these like little singer-songwriter things? And so I got interested and started listening, and it hooked me at that point.
3: So if it's okay with uh, the two of you, I think this is a good point at which maybe we can play – A little snippet of the early Tom Waits you're talking about Uh, and then Big in Japan is one of the songs that I kind of had queued up here because I I had a feeling that would be on the list so let's start with um, what if we start with Semi Sweet from Heart of Saturday Night so that was his first album correct?
0: Closing Time was his first record.
3: Gotcha Uh, but would you say this is probably pretty indicative of of that sort of genre or that time period of Tom?
0: Sure absolutely. Yeah. Uh I kinda divide his career up in sort of three separate stages and the the kind of early jazz beat poet mm-hmm. thing. I, I think Heart of Saturday night's probably the best album from that period. So yeah, that's a great start.
3: All right. We'll go ahead and play that little snippet to start and then uh we'll come back in and, and and switch to Big in Japan so you can see the difference and why I think it's important (laughs) if you start getting into Tom Waits to understand there's a wide variation, and some of it's not (laughs) easy to digest at first. So here we go, starting with semi sweet.
1: Twelve hours
3: All right, so that is uh, Tom Waits uh, circa 1974. Some nice, easy listening. Very there. easy to listen to. Um, you know, I, I hosted a jazz show for several years, and that's the kind of thing that I would have been perfectly comfortable, okay. you know, putting in there with the, the sort of standards yep. of jazz that you think of.
2: Sure. M- my first question is, is he one of those guys who plays all these instruments and, like, layers these tracks, or does he have a band behind him, or has he done a little bit of both throughout his career? He's uh
0: he's actually done a little bit of both. Um, early on, actually, I believe it was his first four or five records were recorded completely live in studio. So had a band with him. He played guitar or piano. Did some spoken word stuff. He's always had top of the line musicians playing with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say recorded live in studio, I mean like direct to tape. They didn't even multi track record that stuff. What happened in the room got printed uh kind of in the 80s was sort of his second phase of his career and he started kind of layering a whole bunch of stuff on top of Mm -hmm. each other uh yeah he's kind of gone back and forth he 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 seems to always surround himself by you know world-class musicians
3: so this is i think a good point now let's let's dive into big in japan so 25 uh 25 years after that album is this album, the one that you were describing. So let's go ahead and get and get a little bit of that. So, I would, that's certainly different. I wouldn't consider that Tom Waits' weirdest, but definitely, but (laughs) I would also see why you would, after, you know, hearing one and hearing the other, go, wait a minute, that's the same guy? (laughs) Right,
0: right. Yeah, there's another, there's even another aspect of Tom Waits where a lot of people know his songs, but not necessarily his version Mm -hmm. of his own songs. I mean, uh, a lot of people have heard Rod Stewart do Downtown Train, or maybe heard the Eagles do Old Fifty Five. Certainly, Springsteen doing Jersey Girl, without realizing those are all Tom Waits songs. He's sort of like a musician's musician and a songwriter's songwriter. So,
2: is he actually big in Japan? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, I mean, I, I assume he's probably just making that up, I, I was just curious. Listening to that. And then immediately, yeah, I mean, it's completely different. Like you said, uh, his early stuff recorded right there in studio. And this, mm-hmm. right away, you've got different things going on in different channels ears, of your yeah. ears, and it's immediately yeah. a different sound.
3: Yeah, for those of you who aren't listening in stereo, there's a lot happening there between the left and the right channels that's like, if you're listening to it in that way, you might initially think, are my speakers plugged in correctly? Like, <laughs> am I doing something wrong here? Um, and his voice is, is there is definitely... Um, Processed, but I do think it doesn't lend uh, do justice to uh, how gravelly and how I've heard it described as um, pulling pulling barbed wire through a a megaphone.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's it's hard to it's hard to bring up Tom Waits and not have his voice be one of the initial talking points. It's definitely, you know, Louis Armstrong gargled gravel.
3: (laughs) That's another good one.
0: It's it's only. It's only gotten more throughout the years just more
3: <laughs> do you have do you have a weirdest? What is the Tom Wait's weirdest track that you recommend?
0: Oh I mean if if you want to talk about weird, you got to think something like a lot of his spoken word stuff maybe like circus or yeah. what's he building in there
3: okay um, I was thinking about army ants too I know is another one that you were like, hey, you want to hear something weird? <laughs> yeah, yeah that's a uh, good one. Uh, let's do what's he building in there
2: is it weird because he's like experimental or he just finds different ways to use these instruments that are more commonplace and just you know garden variety music
0: well something something that actually he started very early on as he was influenced by the beat poets by like you know Allen Ginsberg, jack kerouac and i i'm believe at least once on every album he does a song that is spoken word where you know it might be some sparse instrumentation in the background and him just saying stuff that in his voice sounds good yeah so it only goes to you know reason that you know throughout the years when his music started getting a little weirder uh that these spoken words would get a little weirder in turn so yeah that's there, there is some very strange instrumentation going on on this one as well.
3: Yeah, let's go ahead and play a little snippet of this.
1: What's he building in there? What the hell is he building in there? He has subscriptions to those magazines never waves when he goes by. He's hiding something from the rest of us. He's all to himself. I think I know why. He took down the tire swing from the pepper tree. He has no children of his own, you see. He has no dog. He has no friends. His lawn is dying what about all those packages he sends what's he building in there that hook light on the stairs what's he building
3: so yeah definitely uh (laughs) a little a little
2: bit out there it sounds like what you would hear at like an amusement park before a like haunted house or something like that like that would be what they're playing to to set the mood before you get to the house, like while you're waiting in line.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. He's definitely a uh, maniacal carnival barker <laughs> at, at some points. Well, and that's,
3: I, I think, you know, you're the expert here, but there's kind of a period of his career where a lot of his music draws from that sort of like German festival style music or what we would think about as being carnival music. Um, what's up with that?
0: Oh yeah. He actually, uh, he actually wrote, uh, two German musicals. (laughs) Um, he, he, he made them as albums. It was early two thousands, but it was, you know, mid nineties. Uh, one was called Alice and the other was called blood money, but yeah, they were full blown crazy German operas (laughs) and, listening to his version is weird, but listening to it in German is much weirder. Uh, it, he's just kind of, you know, played to the beat of his own drum this whole time, whatever he's felt like he's done. Um, he got, he got married to uh Kathleen Brennan in the early eighties, and she kind of encouraged him just to go for it.
3: So let's talk about you know why once you heard sort of the early stuff and then you heard like the mule variations period what was it about Tom then and then now that like you've latched onto and keeps you coming back
0: a lot of things um i mean the the early stuff you know that we were talking about the kind of feel of it the you were saying you could play it on the jazz shows and everything but even within that the the lyricism what he was writing about and what he was singing about he he isn't he's a fantastic lyricist and then kind of in the second phase of his career in the 80s he was just doing some stuff that even though it was weird he was definitely blazing a trail uh the album in that period that i love is uh mule very Vari- not mule variations uh rain dogs mm-hmm. has some stuff on rain dogs that you're just not going to hear anywhere else and as a musician you go number one where does that come from and and how do you have the courage to put that out there to the world um he just he always seems to cut deep um he'll do a song like you know big in Japan that's crazy and loud and bombastic he'll do a spoken word that's just really eerie and creepy but then he'll do a ballad that just cuts your heart open and I don't understand how he can weave through all that so effortlessly
2: it sounds like he's I know singer songwriter and recording artists are kind of interchangeable but it sounds like he is a recording artist in like a more true sense of the word. If you really break it down that like the track is his canvas and mm-hmm. he uses his voice as his paintbrush. And he just is so interested in doing from the few things I've heard, just so interested in recording his voice or anything around him in interesting ways and just making whatever is in his head that at that particular time.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. He, he is, he is a series of characters. I mean, uh, I don't I don't know if you guys have talked about this at all but he's also uh he's also acted in a lot of movies. He's he's usually playing a very similar character to who he is in real life, but he's 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 come up with this kind of mythological version of himself that he plays in these songs. And when you see him act in movies, it's it's kind of just Tom Waits as such and such. I mean, he was Renfield in Bram Stoker's Dracula, the, the Francis Ford Coppola version. He was like the weird inventor in Mystery Men. Uh, he was in like the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which was on Netflix last year. So he just, he seems to bring that like theatricality into his music.
3: Well, and he also, you know, coming at it from a from an art standpoint, he was also, as I understand it, pretty... Uh, An acquaintance with Charles Bukowski, who I think was another sort of, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, 70s and 80s poet who drew inspiration from the beats. Bukowski, I don't think, has aged as well in the sense of, like, some of his stuff now is not as uh, you wouldn't, it probably wouldn't get published today. I think there's like a period in your life where you're an angsty, if you're like an angsty, you know, male teenager, that you think it's very edgy to read Bukowski. But I think Tom Waits has some of that, is cut from some of that same cloth that's itchy, but oh, but his age is very a lot better.
0: <laughs> right, right. He's he's always saying about like the his subject matter is always characters who've kind of like fallen between the cracks in society, and we're always going to have that, you know. He sings about you know bums and and barflies and uh, rain dogs is what he calls just the the bums running down the street trying to get out of the rain. You know, it's people people in the margins of society and when somebody's not trying to always create this really idealistic version of things for songs I don't know that feels more real to me
3: well I think that's a good segue to I wanted to talk a little bit about do you remember how you introduced Tom Waits to me because this this made an impact on me do you remember what song it was
0: (sighs) I, I know that I showed you quite a bit of his Austin City Limits performance, but I, I think I probably played, since you're a pianist, I probably played you Christmas Card from a hooker in
3: Minneapolis. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> um, and and I am going to, uh, and I hope you guys are okay with me spending a few minutes on this, because I think it to cut short the intro of this would be doing the whole performance a huge disservice. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, so this is from Austin City Limits in seventy-seven. I want to say, is that right?
0: Yeah, around there, somewhere Not in there, far. yeah.
3: Okay, so this is uh, this is uh, Tom Waits with Christmas card, but it has an interesting
1: little intro. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all. Sleep in heavenly peace Sleep in heavenly peace Hey Charlie baby, I'm pregnant And I've been living on 9th Street here Right above this dirty bookstore Off Euclid Avenue Believe it or not, I stopped taking dope and I quit drinking whiskey. And man, my old man, he, he plays the trombone and he works out at the track. And he says that he loves me, even no, though it's not his baby. And he it says he's going to raise him up just like he would his own. Son it gave me a ring that was worn by his mother. Oh, it takes me out dancing. But there was Saturday night.
3: Yeah, so that was my introduction, <laughs> and you can maybe see why I was hooked right away. <laughs> I, I I just think, uh, and in that performance, I think the first thing I asked you is is now is he drunk or is he just acting that way? Uh,
0: yes <laughs> um uh, yeah, maybe uh, I don't know where one starts and the other one ends uh he he was very booze fueled in the seventies, he actually stopped everything in the 80s when he met kathleen brennan and it was all just out of his brain at that point but he definitely had a character for himself as the uh kind of boozy beat poet plunking the piano over in the corner of a crowded bar
3: yeah if billy joel is the like the version that you can hear on pop radio (laughs) <laughs> Tom Waits is the one that like the record company kind of doesn't want you to know about that they also have on the label. <laughs> sure. That same kind of barroom bard character. So I guess, you know, the part of the reason we wanted to talk to you about this today on the show is just I think that more people should be listening to Tom Waits. Um, you know, you've talked a little bit about how you discovered him and why you think he's important. Uh, to you, to you, like what kind of an influence has he been? You're a singer-songwriter. Like what kind of influence has Tom Waits been to you? This
0: one's kind of hard because I don't really sound anything like Tom Waits. I don't try to. I don't uh, kind of write in the same subject matter as Tom Waits. But uh, myself and a lot of other singer-songwriters can look at his honesty, um, those those really early songs of his are, are really good for going out and playing in a bar somewhere. I mean, uh, his initial stuff he was doing on piano and on guitar. And the fact that he never was writing a song to try to get on the radio. Uh, there are so many great songwriters. I, I love Jackson Brown uh, but Jackson Brown was writing songs to get played on the radio. Uh, James Taylor was writing radio hits. Uh, and and Tom Waits was just doing his best to, you know, tell the truth and lie when you need to, but, but write a, a song that was true to him. And he felt like the world needed to have, um, yeah, and like I said, so many other people have have heard that too, the, the Eagles, Springsteen, I've heard Nora Jones do, Tom Waits. Pretty much anybody who's anybody as a singer-songwriter definitely knows who he is.
2: One thing I was interested in while hearing these uh, as somebody who's really never heard Tom Waits, I've heard of him, but I, I was not familiar with his music off the top of my head before we started recording this podcast, and he seems to liken himself in these songs sometimes to a storyteller. Does he do albums like that where the whole where you have to listen to it in order cuz he doesn't seem like a guy where he's just easy to pick and choose a song out of nowhere.
0: He doesn't really have like a like an album that has a clear uh concept or or a through line. But a lot of his albums, especially the earlier ones, they all kind of have a feel um mm-hmm. You know, uh, the old film noir movies that were in black and white. And then in all the close-ups, there's like that, that square of light over the eyes that have the private eyes and stuff like that. Uh, his early record, small change is very noir esque of an album. They all, they all are very sort of thematic, but yeah, nothing that you necessarily have to listen to in order.
3: I, I think, um, i would agree with you that none of them are necessarily concept albums but when you uh mark when you were asking that question the thing that came to my mind immediately was Nighthawks at the diner which is oh, yeah. an album that was based on the painting Nighthawks by edward hopper that's the one i mean everyone's seen it the like shot of the corner diner and mm-hmm. the, the patrons at the sitting at the bar yeah uh, you know at the stools uh or the counter they don't call it a bar there um I think that's a, I mean, that's a great example of one that you can sit down very easily and listen to all the way through and it tells Mm -hmm. maybe not a conceptual artist type story, but like you get the feeling of the patrons that are coming in and out of the diner and the kinds of things they're talking about. Um, And that's one that I think it flies through. You sit down and listen to it and it's over before you realize that, you know, that you've gotten through an entire record. I would say that's in fact, probably a pretty good, like a decent starting place for somebody
2: Yeah. He seems like a guy who you would want if you, especially if you were starting to listen to him, you'd want to buckle down and listen to a whole album. He's not just going to be your, you know, your friends are trading around the ox cord. You're not going to throw in some Tom Waits, you know, just at a normal get together.
0: Yeah, it's you. You can't really put together kind of a mix playlist that spans his entire career because it hops all over the place so much that it would be very jarring. I kind of talked about those three different phases and you can sort of mix around within those three phases, but yeah, there's, there's definitely gateway drugs to Tom Waits. I definitely would not play big in Japan. Maybe as somebody's (laughs) first time to listen, Tom Waits is sort of the, the Mario two of singer songwriters where I don't, that's a good, that's a good nerd association (laughs) reference right there (laughs) where, you know, Mario 2 is awesome, but if that's the first Mario you play, you're like, what is this? <laughs> and if it's the second or third Mario you play, you're like, what is this? But yeah, there, there's definitely some gateway drugs into Tom Waits. Um, if anybody's looking for a good place to start, uh, Daniel mentioned Heart of Saturday Night is a great, you know, part of his early career. If you're a little a little more adventurous, Nighthawks at the Diner it's actually interesting. They, that's, it's a live album, but it was recorded live in the studio. They set up like a a nightclub in a recording studio
3: Hmm.
0: and, you know, set up tables and had waitresses go around. And I believe a stripper opened for him and then he came along and just knocked out the whole album. And, you know, they kicked everybody out and he had a, had a record. And then, uh, (laughs) that
3: that's interesting. I've, cause I don't know that I knew that, but I, there, You can hear like the clinking of plates and like silverware, you know, hitting ceramic and, and obviously voices. And, you know, it has that light. It does sound like it's recorded in the diner. And of course, it's kind of because it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then
0: uh, I, kind of the second phase of his career, if you if you made it through the first part, if you start at like hard of Saturday night or if you start at closing time, which is closing time is when his voice was the least rough, I guess and it was very straightforward songs. If you make it through that first part of the career, um, Rain Dogs is probably the one to listen to from that 80s stage. And then uh, Mule Variations is a good one, Uh, even though Big in Japan and What's He Building in there are kind of the stranger ones on that. There are some really beautiful ballads, and he actually got a Grammy for that one. So who would have thought in 1999 that, I believe it was alternative album of the year would go to that
3: Yeah, of all the things that could have gotten it in 99. <laughs> right.
0: Sure, Right. I imagine there was some, uh, Oh, smash mouth that.
3: <laughs> yeah. I'm actually going to Google keep talking, but I'm curious who was yeah. up for that.
2: <laughs> I feel like he's a musician that if you're not in a group of people who are super into some different types of music, you may just want to, start this one on your headphones and just experience or play it while you're alone, because I just can't foresee me being able to play this with my group of friends and them being oh, very absolutely. receptive he's to not, it.
0: He is certainly not for everybody. Yeah. Uh, he's barely for anybody, but I, I can say whoever he's for is my kind of person. So, <laughs> uh, I, my wife, it's taken her so many years to come around to Tom Waits, uh, the voice is a deterrent. The weirdness is a deterrent. Uh, there, there's so many reasons to not like them that anybody who's willing to hang on and come all the way around and like them. I can respect that.
3: Uh, best contemporary folk album. Okay. Is I believe that's, yeah, that's what I'm seeing here. and I'm trying to figure out this is riveting, uh, radio, right. Or podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just hearing me Google for something. Anyway, I'll... I'll what, would we'll he be up against,
2: like, Beck or something at that he time? Wasn't,
3: yeah, so the alternative music category was, like, Beck and Radiohead and Smashing Pumpkins.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, da, da, da. But, I know yeah.
0: he got it. He also got a Grammy a few years earlier. It might have been 97
1: mm-hmm.
0: for a Bone Machine, which was an even weirder record. <laughs> I... I think there's some years, I think the Grammys they want to pat themselves on the back and say, "Oh, we let a weird one through. Look at us.
3: <laughs> well, that's like all
2: award shows, right? You yeah. could do probably do an, a nerd
3: association about
2: award shows where but... they go against the consensus of the popular choice and just pick something yeah. and everybody's like, "What the hell is this? But here it right. is. I have a problem with the Grammys, and I've told this to Daniel before is <laughs> the modern Grammys have way too many awards, and people have too many Grammys. Like, what's her name? Uh, Billie, Billie Eilish. Eilish won, like, eight Grammys this year in right. her first right. year as a recording artist.
0: Yeah, I you know, it's, it's crazy when people go and they say, oh, you know, Billie Eilish has this many, but the Beatles had such many. And they start, <laughs> like, comparing things between eras. Yeah. And it's just like, we're going to check back with me in 10, 20, and 30 years, and we're going to see who we're talking about at that point.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, that, and... and I mean, if the Grammys do anything, it's like, you know, they reflect to some extent what people are listening to at the to- at the moment, mm-hmm. but not necessarily like the impact on all of music history, right? Yeah.
0: Sure, sure. I, I'm not even convinced people were listening to Tom Waits at the moment. I- <laughs> <laughs> well,
3: that's a good point.
0: I mean... Yeah, the, the Grammys, it's strange to say like, oh, this record got a Grammy because I think the first ever heavy metal Grammy went to Jethro Tall.
3: <laughs> yes, I think that's right. <laughs> Which... They were
0: like up against Metallica and Megadeth. And so it's, yeah, that's, it's strange.
3: Flute. It's just, if you add flute to anything, it makes it better.
0: You know what? That's, flute's so metal. <laughs> so
3: metal. Um. So I... I would like to uh, you said this earlier about, you know, talking about the the breadth and I believe you were the one that said to me that Tom Waits, you know, wrote all these. We were liking to talk about the weird ones, but some of the most beautiful music that's ever been out there. And I believe you were the one that said to me, Tom Waits wrote the best love song ever. Oh man, which one is this going to be? I, well, I'm going to play it and I can play it in its entirety because it's short. So this is, I want You, Uh, By Tom Waits And this was released, as far as I can tell in, In an early years compilation So, here's this
1: I want you, you Stars above, sun on the brightest day, giving you all my love. If only you would see that I want you.
2: just TV show wedding montage song right there. Yeah. yeah.
3: And very Bob Dylan in a time when, you know, Bob Dylan was, but like still, I don't know. I don't know. if Maybe you weren't the one that said that to me, but I think that's one of the best.
0: Oh man. He writes ones that, that tear your heart out. Uh, I won't, I won't make you play it right now. Cause it's like six minutes and you got to hang on for all six of them. But if your listeners are, are feeling like they're into this at all, and they just want to hear something that is utter beauty the song ruby's arms oh man yeah i get emotional
3: that's a very the, you're you're exact that's a very good one <laughs> but yeah i i don't know if we all want to just openly sob uh because that <laughs> is a possibility
0: for good podcast
3: <laughs> well i think uh i think that's about all the time we have uh but Brother Man, I want to thank you for coming on. Eric Barnett, uh, singer, songwriter. You can find him on almost every social media outlet, except for Twitter, notably, at Eric Barnett Music. Uh, His most recent album is Shipwreck in a Bottle, and you can find that all over the interwebs. Give it a listen. Give it a bye. Thanks so much for coming on today and joining us on Nerd Association. This was fun.
0: Thanks for having me, guys. I had a blast.
3: Thanks for joining us, Eric. And if you are interested in, uh, you know, learning more about Nerd Association, telling us what you think, you can find us on Twitter at nerd underscore, associ, N-E-R-D underscore ASSOC, N E R D underscore A S S O C. You can also email us at nerdassoc at gmail.com. Uh, once again, thanks for tuning into Nerd Association, and uh, we'll see you next week.